630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Thanks for tuning in tonight. It is seven oh six inside sports on six thirty. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. All right, so uh, still four nothing for the Penguins. That is after two periods. As we check your Crystal Glass scoreboard for Crystal Glass for all your glass needs, call three ten Glass today. Early in the third, no score between the Red Wings and the Lightning as the Lightning try to close out that series. The Ducks are up one nothing on the Predators with the second period about to begin. Getzleff has the goal, and uh, Chicago and St. Louis not yet underway. They're about half an hour away from facing off. The Raptors looking good tonight, up 59-41 on the Pacers. Four minutes into the second half, that is game three of that best of seven. It's tied 1-1. The Blue Jays lead the Orioles 2-1. That's in the top of the sixth. Uh, We're going to talk to Brian Ramsey later this half hour about the new drug testing policy in the Canadian Football League. Quick little note from the CFL today. Kellen, you'll like this one. Maurice Price, pretty good receiver, played for Ottawa last year. Oh, yeah. He was very uh, instrumental or influential to them down the stretch, I should say, for uh, getting into the playoffs in that big game against Hamilton, for sure. So... He was acquired by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in January, mm-hmm. signed a contract extension, got a signing bonus, and he retired today. So hold on. So, okay, so he got traded to Saskatchewan, got a big signing bonus from the Rough Riders, and then decided, you know what, uh, I'm uh, going to take my ball and go home. Wow. I, I feel no sympathy bonus. for the Riders, by the way. I'm, I'm not a Rough Rider <laughs> fan. You know, that's the risk they take. Better them than us. We'll put it that way. But uh, that 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 is uh, that's something. That is something. So yeah, he gets to uh, gets the like, gets the cash. How about that? By the way, did you see uh, did you see Chris Jones today on Twitter? I did not see Chris Jones today on Twitter. What did Getting he say? his day with the Grey Cup in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, his hometown. Oh, okay. Nice picture of uh, Chris Jones with his uh, wife and children. Mm-hmm. The Grey Cup was presented to him by a member of his current team, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Down in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. That's um, different. I, di- I, did, <laughs> I did find it interesting last night that... Um, uh, I did find it interesting uh, last night with uh, Tony Washington and DeAnthony Batiste hmm. in studio. They aren't overly concerned about the change in the coaching staff. And, and and other guys have said this through the offseason. We have the same players. We have the right players in place. Yep. We don't need Chris Jones. Yep. I think the mission is is that this group of players that won last year wants to prove that they want to go into this year and repeat with the same group of players and just say, hey, listen, you know, it, it's the players that play the 60 minutes. The coaches, they they drop the plays for us and everything, and they they guide us. But, you know, we're professionals at this level, and we need to get it done, right? So... Well, it sounds like the mini camp in Florida went pretty well, mm-hmm. and Jason Moss was really on top of things. I, I mean, they and they talked last night about Chris Jones being extremely detailed. And I asked the guys, 
I said, I said about this offense during the season, you guys ran about four or five plays over and over again, and you just got really good at them. Mm-hmm. And DeAnthony Batiste laughed and said, yes, that's what we did. Yep. Because they didn't want to run anything unless the execution was super- was was precise, everybody was sure, everybody was confident, everybody was doing his job and knew what the guy next to him had to do, and it all got done. Yep. So if they put it in a new play in practice and it didn't work or it was discombobulated or one or two guys wasn't catching on, they didn't force it into the lineup. They said, yep. okay, maybe we'll work on it again next week or maybe we'll just never go back to it. Well, you can totally tell that during the season, for sure, with things that they would implement in that lineup and that stuff. Just, you know, if it, if, if it seems shaky in week one or two, by week four or five, they were rolling with it, right? So It's going to be interesting. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, that, that detailed... The detailed approach and mentality that the Eskimos had is something that the Oilers didn't have. Yes. The, I mean, when the Oilers did have it, I'm, I shouldn't say the Oilers played 82 games and never had it. On the nights they did have it, they, they stayed in games or they won games. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, the old cliche is 60 minutes, yep. right? The Oilers, a lot of nights had it for 35, 40, 45, 48, 52 minutes yep. and then didn't have it at the key point in the game and it cost them. Whereas the Eskimos were, let's face it, the Eskimos were actually became more detailed as games went on. Oh. They, they often didn't start games very well, and you're pulling your, your hair out, but they, they stayed with it and they didn't panic. Yeah. The Oilers did not have that maturity. And I don't mean maturity just in the terms of, of age, um, it just the, the, the makeup of the team. Mm-hmm. And, and the Eskimos were constantly able to demonstrate that. And they, the guys said it last night, even in the Grey Cup. They were down 13 nothing. They had not run an offensive play. Mm-hmm. Ottawa took it down, got a touchdown on the opening drive. The Eskimos fumbled the kickoff. Ottawa got it back, got a touchdown, and missed the convert, right? But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, whereas the Oilers, now I don't think it was as bad as previous years, but they still wound up 29th. And they were a team, when something went wrong, you felt like, okay, here's going to be a, a tidal wave of... Yeah bad stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what, I mean, McClellan recognized, Todd McClellan recognized they have to work on that. And he called it right from day one, don't fold your hand. Don't fold your hand. Mm-hmm. That, they didn't maintain that the whole season. No. They had it they for didn't. a while. It, it pretty much dropped off. It came back a little bit after the trade deadline. I mean, mm-hmm. they went 8-9-1 and one after the, the deadline, not a good record, not a disaster. Uh, I mean, they won almost half their games, which mm-hmm. was their goal was to get to half. Yep. Uh, so it, it came back a little bit later in the season, but you still had the stinker like the game against Calgary. Mm-hmm. You know, the 5 nothing game, that's going to be the low point of the season. So it, it's interesting to me, um, especially from, from this year, just talking to a lot of people, how much of it is between the years. Yeah. How much of it is really between the years. When the guys physically get to this level, you know, if you're playing pro football, and I know the NFL has, you know, better football players than the CFL, but you're still a pretty elite football player mm-hmm. if you're playing on one of the 41 pro teams on the continent. Yeah. Or if you're playing on one of the 30 NHL teams, you know, the 30 best hockey teams in the world, mm-hmm. you're all pretty good hockey players. So what separates you? Well, the, your consistency. I mean, unless you're an absolute star with physical ability like a Kane or a McDavid, right? What mm-hmm. separates you? Well, your ability to deal with 
mistakes, limit your mistakes, dealing with adversity, staying focused when things aren't going well, believing you can win, trusting your teammates, being that guy that your teammates can trust. Mm -hmm. I haven't mentioned anything there about skating or shooting or stopping a puck or blocking a shot or stride length or how you tape your stick or anything like that. No, because You're talking about the mental approach to preparation and com- and yeah. being committed to detail. Yeah, what you, all that stuff you're talking about is mechanics. The the nine points, the nine qualities that you listed there, you can take that from hockey, and you can a successful hockey team does that. It's a successful basketball team like the San Antonio Spurs or uh, you know Cleveland Cavaliers. They do that. Definitely well, now the, the, Golden the State Spurs River. are an interesting case. Okay, if you Go want ahead. to talk about an extremely detailed, committed, and precise team. Mm-hmm. Granted, with talent, but they've kind of, I mean, you talk about creating cultures. They have basically created their own culture, mm-hmm. and people come along, and they know it works, and they get into it, and they keep going. I mean, they had a great season. Yeah. I mean, they could legitimately beat, I mean, they're probably on a collision course for the West Conference Final. Oh, yeah. Unless something crazy happens. That, that's going to be insane basketball they, when they, that happens. They could, they could legitimately beat Golden State, mm-hmm. and... It wouldn't. I mean, okay, sure, it would be. It would be an upset because Golden State had a, a seventy-three win season, right? Mm-hmm. But by the same token, San Antonio won sixty-seven games. Yeah, and every other, other year, year they're they're the best team in the league. Exactly and right. And so I mean, that's only a six-game gap. It's yep. a win a month that they were separated by. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's going to be interesting as we move oh, along. That's going to uh, be fun. Tell you what, uh, Mark Kennedy is coming up, and when we get back, Brian Ramsey with details of drug testing in the CFL. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Ozzy finds the bit, throws it back to Malkin. Full flapper. Hey, shoot and scores. This one's going to count. Malkin gives the Penguins a 4 nothing lead on the rocket shot for the slot. And the Penguins have another power play goal. It's time to buy new shoes. Holy moly. That thing had flames out the <laughs> All right. backside. Still 4 nothing for the Penguins early in the third period. They're taking it to the Rangers tonight, trying to go up 3-1 in the series. The Red Wings and the Lightning are still scoreless. Eight minutes into the third, Anaheim's up one nothing on Nashville. Nine minutes into the second period, Blackhawks and Blues a little bit later on. Well, drug testing in place for the 2016 Canadian Football League season after uh, they didn't have a policy last season. To talk a little bit about this and what it means for the players who will be tested throughout the season, I'm pleased to welcome to the show former Edmonton Eskimos offensive lineman, now the executive director of the CFL Players Association, Brian Ramsey. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. And this is pretty significant news today that there is going to be some uh, expanded testing for performance-enhancing drugs in the uh, CFL for the 2016 season. Uh, maybe I'll kind of let you just describe the, the meat and potatoes of this, of, of why it's important and, and how it's going to work. I think it's, I think it's important for a lot of reasons. Um, it's, it's something that, that both sides have been working hard, extremely hard, to, uh, to come to an agreement on it, and it's something that uh, is, is definitely uh, is needed in the game. And uh, it, uh, it obviously improves player safety, and it ensures that uh, all players are competing on that on that same level, as well as keeping us uh, very competitive with other policies uh, around the professional sports. 
What was was that a big thing? Because I I know the policy had been criticized a bit in in the past. Is that a big hurdle maybe to get over? That uh, that now you have something a little more comprehensive that puts you on par with other pro leagues in North America. I think so. I think we uh, you know our our league is unique um, on its own. But I, you uh, you look around at the other sports leagues and, and and what everyone's doing. But at the same time, we wanted to make sure that a policy like this had. Um, had enough of uh, uh, enough weight to it that uh, it would it would have penalties to deter from uh, players from uh, making that decision to to do that. Uh, how exactly is 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 the testing going to work? I, I know I've read that the number of tests will be equal to 100% of the players in the league. How is how exactly does that work? So. It, you're right. It, uh, there is 100% testing, but it's random testing. So there is that possibility, as it's random, that um, individuals might be tested uh, more than once, duplicates, which thereby uh, reducing the number of, of, of people actually getting tested, if that makes sense. So if there's 600 people, uh, 600 members in the league at any current time, there will be 600 tests, but as they're random, uh, it, it might... Um, it might duplicate some of the uh, the players being tested. Okay, but still, that that is going to be a lot of tests. Uh, I, I mean, as as a, as a guy who played, are the tests, um, you know, are they disruptive to a player's routine? Are they, you know, something that are going to make players worry, or or how do you look at how these actually are going to going to play out once we get in season? No, I don't think so. I think um, as a former player and, ha- and having been tested myself. It's uh, they're they're done very discreetly at the at the end of a practice or a game, and and you're you're um, ushered off to a, a private area uh, with the testing agent, and um, it, it won't be too much uh, too troublesome to to players after practice or after game times. Yeah, um, uh, Brian Ramsey joining us, uh, the executive director of the Canadian Football League Players Association, talking about drug testing for the uh, 2016. CFL season is this is this limited to performance enhancing drugs or are we talking about you know things like marijuana as well or what's the scope of it uh, our policy is always focused on performance enhancing drugs and uh, they obviously those have a direct effect on the uh, the integrity of our competition and uh, that remains uh, as well with this new policy okay I got you there um, I, I mean, look, I, I, well, I, I, I kind of hate to ask you to guess, but, uh, but I mean, your experience, are, are you expecting that, all right, there are going to be some, some positive tests here where guys might face that uh, a little bit of a suspension at first and they're, and they're going to have to realize they're going to have to change their ways? I mean, the, I guess, you know, people always wonder about the prevalence of, of these types of substances in the games they love to watch. I think with the significant uh, impact that we're putting on the education prior to the season starting, um, I, I see a lot of guys uh, having the ability to, to learn to learn more with these mandatory sessions and mandatory educational um, sessions that each player will have to attend. So I, I see those really being a benefit to us leading into the season. Okay, I got you there. Thanks for the update on that. Brian, I, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about uh, – your journey because it was a pretty incredible time to be an Edmonton Eskimo last season. I, I know for you, you you uh, you joined the team in in July. What was it like being part of this club that you know went through a lot, had their quarterback come back from an injury, 
pulled out uh, several close games where it looked like it not it might not go your way, and then ultimately win the Grey Cup. I mean, looking back on that season now, what can you say? Well, I mean, you summed it up there. It was, a, it was an extremely exciting ride, and it was a very close locker room. And you and I were talking uh, a bit before about uh, some of uh, my, my former teammates there, and and it was just that it was such a close-knit room and uh the group of guys uh you enjoyed the journey that uh, that we went on and then obviously when you're fortunate enough to end the season with a win then uh, that makes that journey even sweeter yeah the transition for you i mean i know you'd, you'd been doing pa stuff before but to be the executive director that's important so <laughs> what's what's the transition like from playing to to this role and uh a uh, pretty big responsibility comes with that too yes yeah no of course and uh, like you said i've i've uh, been part of the players association now for a number of years as a first as a player rep and then uh, as a voted executive a member um and, and sitting in that position and the transition to to this role in particular as the executive director um you know, I'm excited for. I'm looking forward to what we're doing as an association and uh, keeping uh, myself close to the game and, and, and in touch with that. And, and, and being so so close and not that far removed myself, I feel that I can really have a good pulse of, of the league and the members and and, uh, and have those discussions and, and work well on their behalf. Right on. Well, congratulations on getting it done. Congratulations again on the Great Cup last season and uh, all the best in this new venture. Brian, it's great to have you on the show. I appreciate it, Reed. Thanks again for having me on. Right on. That's Brian Ramsey, Executive Director of the CFL Players Association. I can also tell you that Pittsburgh now up 5-0 on the Rangers. 14 minutes left. The Penguins have dominated this game. In studio with world champion Mark Kennedy. Speaking of drug testing, I believe he has a story from the uh, World Curling Championships. It's all about uh, peeing in a cup, folks. No, it's not. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Yeah! All right, well, this is going to be fun for the next little while here. We have Mark Kennedy in studio. All he's done in the last couple of months is uh, win the World Championship in curling after winning the Canadian Championship in curling. Mark, welcome back to the show. Hey, Reed, thanks for having me. Now, I know it wasn't just you. Who's, who are the guys on your team again? Uh, ben Hebert, Kevin Cooey, Brent Lang. I think Benny Hebes is actually listening to the show tonight. Well, he better be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think he's a huge inside sports supporter. That's right. That's did you right. guys have a fifth? We did, yeah. Scott Pfeiffer. Yeah. Oh, big, I remember uh, him. idol of mine growing up. Yeah, out in St. Albert. He was and, great. And did you have a coach? We did, yeah. John Dunn, he's a, a sports psychologist at the University of Alberta. He's been our coach for the last couple seasons. So we had a, a great team over in Switzerland. Now, uh, as the fifth... How often does does the fifth get to play, or how often did Scott get to play? Scott got to play. He actually didn't get to play at the Briar. Uh, we didn't have any blowouts there, uh, but he did get to play a full game in Switzerland against the Swiss, uh, and he also came in to play against Japan for a few ends. So he got in there, but his his role is more of, uh, you know, he had a lot of. Uh, other activities to take care of such as brooms and keeping things organized and he was he was absolutely wonderful to have with us and his experience I mean he's a four-time world champ so that didn't hurt either he's a pro he's a pro he just knew what it took yeah and, and he, he knew what we knew were his role he knew his role and he knew what we were doing and what we needed and he just did it to perfection that that's cool to hear I mean that everybody 
understands what they have to do and and yeah. the tr the trust that can be established. What's okay? What's the rule with the fifth? If once they they can sub in mid game, but then they have to finish in that spot, or how does it go? Uh, I don't know the entire rule. <laughs> I, I think That's great. I think once a fifth comes in, they can. I think you can do anything you want. I think he can sub back out if he wants. I, I don't know. I've never had that problem. Once a fifth comes in, they just stay in and play and finish. In. Yeah. And it's usually a game that's not close or somebody got hurt. I right. Guess. In this case, we had, I mean, we had a long stretch there and, and it was one of our last round robin games against Switzerland. And Ben took the game off just to get a little physical break and get some Cairo and get the body feeling good for the playoffs. So that, as we get a little older here, that becomes more and more important as a long week goes on. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, we I, I teed it up, so we might be before we talk about. <laughs> All right. So you're at the World Curling Championships. Yeah. Now, were you was is everybody drug tested? Did you guys all have to get the? No, it's random. You okay. just get picked as you come off the ice to go for the P test after any game. You don't right, know, right? Okay. But uh, what happened is we we sat in for the team meeting at the start of the week, and the Russian team had come in, and it wasn't the Russian team we were expecting. So for oh, so the yeah the team sat down in front of us and they had names um, patched onto this back of these jackets. It wasn't the team we were expecting, so we we got to the bottom of it and found out that the Russian team that was supposed to be there was sent home due to illness was the story. Um, but as this, as it went along, we found out it was the fear of the meldonium and that so many Russian oh, athletes had been taking the drug. Was taking. Yeah. And same with the under 18 hockey team, the big scandal there. So right. I think the concern is that the, the men's team may have tested positive for that. So they sent them home. So they brought in the B team and, uh, I think they went two and nine, but they won their first two games. But it made for an interesting story. Wow. Okay. Well, the Russian um, there, there's a let's just to summarize. There are several Russian sports federations that have had their issues in the last twelve to twenty-four months, given given yeah. what's happened. Yes. Yeah. I mean, are they even going to have any athletes at the Olympics this summer? I don't know. I don't know. You just once you know it's filtered down to curling, you know it's. Uh, well, that's the interesting thing. Yeah. I, don't, like, I know there's more training and strength in curling. You and I have talked about yeah. that. But I, 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 yeah, it's yeah, hard I, to imagine a bunch of curlers thinking, all right, we got a juice. No, that's our only option. Yeah, exactly. We got a juice. I don't know if it's going to help you that much <laughs> we, anyway. We can't throw, we got to throw the rock that extra five miles an hour. We got to try to make the rocks explode like men in Yeah, rooms. exactly. You take as many steroids as you want, it's not going to help you with strategy, boys. Uh, by the way, I know it's, it came out about a decade ago, more than that. What do you, what do you think of that movie, Men, in, men with Brooms? Men, men with, men with Brooms, yeah. yeah. Paul Gross. Paul it Gross. was entertaining. Was, uh, a little unrealistic with the exploding yeah, it rocks. It was. It was, but it was fun. It brought a little popularity to curling, and a lot of curlers actually got some. Uh, what do you call it? They got, into got the some movie. screen time. Yeah, I got some screen time. Craig Savile and Jeff Stoughton. It was fun. It still comes on TV every once in a while, and we watch it. The Stoughton did it. What does Stoughton call that spinorama move? Spinorama. I think he just calls it the spinorama. The spinorama. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, that's it. What does he call the thing <laughs> that he calls exactly that? <laughs> now he did that. Uh, didn't he do that in a Briar final when he was getting yeah, blown he out did that one in year? Our at Briar the end? final. When he played in you guys, two thousand nine. Yeah, right. So that was when you were with Kevin. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, fans love it. And you guys were crushing them. Yeah, it was over at the time. He knew he was shaking hands, so he did the spinorama. The crowd still loves did it. Did it bother so. you guys? No, no, no. He's a class act. Always has been. Um, it's it was good. Fans loved it, so it was all good. Do you have any trick shots in your curling bag? Nope. <laughs> I don't. Do you think most curlers would? I think some do. Uh, I think some guys have mastered the spinorama. I know Johnny Moe used to have one where he'd come out of the hack and then throw it between his legs and throw. I've seen a couple funny ones. I know Thomas Olsrud did one this year where he slid out and then lifted the rock on its side and then threw it. 
So it went down on its side. It went down on but its, its side. But it's not going to be accurate. He no, didn't no, know no. Where it, it was, was going. He was shaking hands as he was doing it. Okay. Oh, he did that yeah. in the game too. Yeah, he did it in the European final, I think. So now, could I've there not be like uh, the curling's version of the NBA slam dunk competition where you guys just go do a bunch of weird stuff and the fans could Yeah, vote? you could. I mean, the closest thing we have is the singles or the comp or the hot shots at the Briar. Right. But I guess you could uh, flash it up a little bit and do something interesting. We'll see. Well, see, there's my idea. There's I'll my leave that contribution. To you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I win a bunch of money, I'll sponsor a curling trick shot competition. <laughs> yeah. uh, I feel like I'm making fun of the game, but I'm not because, yeah, stop uh, it. yeah I'm pretty mean spirited. <laughs> uh, all right. So you won the world championship. Yeah. Now, I was looking at the line scores today. I didn't write them all down. The final was close 5 3 over Denmark. Yeah. I think it was also 5 3 in the 1 2 game. But you guys crushed a couple teams. Like we're, we're talking 9 2 a couple of times, right? Yeah. Yeah, we did, um, but sometimes that was just maybe one big miss. There, there wasn't uh, maybe one or two teams that were a little bit out of their league, but for the most part, international curling now is very, very competitive. You even look at the teams that were in the playoffs, you know, Japan, U.S., Denmark, not your typical teams you'd expect there, but they earned their way there. That's how good the competition is getting. Um, you know, that's the first gold medal for Canada in uh, four years. That's right. And the women haven't won in eight yeah so that shows you a sign of the times it's it was it was tough we had some tough games even the final was a battle so um it's uh it's a lot like playing the briar to be honest with you it's just that difficult uh how many worlds is this for you that's two wins and and uh, silver medal in 09 plus an, an olympics yeah right yeah. so you've been the best in the world basically three times yes if i count the olympics sure. which i can't yeah yeah uh, but it's been six years since the Olympics, so this one was a little extra special because you just never know if you were going to get back. Right. So this one was nice. How? Could you mind if I ask how old are you? I'm 34. You're still relatively young, um, I think. Anyway, in the sport of curling, anyway. In the sport of curling. Now, are you? Let me ask you this: Are you? Because now you're playing third. Yeah. So you're sweeping a little bit less. Yeah. Um, Is it going to extend my career? It will. Yes. Will that extend your career? Uh, maybe. I know Benny's listening right now. But as long as my career is going, Ben's career is going. So I'll have to drag him along for a few more years. Uh, but, the, the, I mean, there's more wear and tear on the front end, guys. Yeah, there is. It's, I mean, I just mentioned to you at the Worlds, this was the first year where we've had a conversation of whether we should have a, a chiropractor or a massage therapist on tour with us because the wear and tear on the body is getting to be substantial. Um, so, yeah. And, I mean, our next four months here is going to be focused on getting back in shape and getting the body ready for another long season. What was the uh, Basel, Switzerland? That was the name of the city. Uh, Basel. Basel. Yeah. Sorry, boy, I'm I'm blowing everything tonight. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. <laughs> uh, what What is now? I know they've hosted curling the, the curling worlds before. I think the yeah. last time Canadian men won. Yeah. Uh, so is it? Would you describe it as a? Because look, sometimes you see these world tournaments in. Pick a city. Yeah, and it's, middle of when, it, when it was in Latvia a few years ago, yeah. it was 200 people at a game. How? What was it like? This there? was good. They had it in a state-of-the-art tennis facility that they turned into a a curling rink, and the crowds were actually pretty good. Um, Switzerland was doing pretty well there, so the crowds were even better. Uh, when we played Switzerland in the last round robin game, great crowds. We, there was probably 3,500 people for the final. Uh, lots of Canadian fans made their way over. It was a very well recepted event when it comes to curling in Europe. Did you get, did you get to mingle with the Canadian fans, or do they want to talk to you after the game? Yeah, did we did. We got to see some of them and and sign some autographs and chit chat with them. Um, they had a great public transportation system, so they had a kind of like an LRT that went right from the arena to the hotels. And I took that a couple times with with uh, with Nicole 
and also with a bunch of the Canadian fans. So it was a good chance to just mingle and chat with them and, you know, find out where they're from and why they came over. And and uh, it was nice. It was kind of a, a feeling like you were back at home, which yeah. was great. Yeah. Uh, what was the media coverage like? Uh, media coverage was good. World Curling Federation does a pretty good job. You know, they broadcast their own event. Um, but most of the media still comes from Canada. So Al Cameron was there from... Uh, from Curl Canada, doing most of the media stuff for us, so the coverage was pretty good. Yeah, uh, fans pretty knowledgeable. Like, would you put okay, okay? Here's the the hometown question, yeah, but yeah. I know you'll give an honest perspective. Are Canadian fans the most knowledgeable curling fans, and and if so, who would you put maybe in the next tier? Yeah, Canadian fans are definitely the most knowledgeable, but a lot of your yeah, you know what? I haven't curled a lot outside of Canada, to be honest with you. But, you know, Scotland fans are pretty knowledgeable. A lot of history of the game there. So, And there was a lot of them in Basel as well. Uh, but for the most part, the only event I can ever remember where the fans weren't very knowledgeable about what was going on was the Olympics. That was the one event where 90% of the people in the arena just got tickets to whatever event they could get tickets for. Right. And most of them had never seen So even the curling. Canadians maybe weren't Yeah, they hardcore. thought it was a hockey game and they didn't know what was going on <laughs> and they were cheering misses and, you know, they, they had it backwards. They used to, they were cheering for us when we were throwing and then quiet when the other team was throwing. So it caused a little bit of communication problems for us and that was it was fun it was great to have that type of crowd but we'll, we'll probably never see that again so it's like football you want the crowd to be quiet when you're on offense yeah, exactly. so, so you can communicate exactly. a little better you got it all right uh, i want to get some more stories i want to talk about the briar as well sure. and uh i know you had to come back from worlds and uh play in another event and you have one more coming up and i want to see what you're up to this summer so stick around mark kennedy world curling champion with team kevin cooey in studio inside sports on 630 jet This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. The Detroit Red Wings have been eliminated. Alex Kalorn, the only goal of the game. Ben Bishop, a 34-save shutout. The Lightning knock off the Wings one zip. They win the series in five. It's uh, almost over in Manhattan. 5-0 Penguins leading the Rangers. Two minutes left, so they'll go up 3-1. Anaheim trying to tie the series against the Predators. A 3-1 lead over Nashville. That's after two. Chicago and St. Louis underway. Chicago must win to stay alive. It's scoreless four minutes in. The Raptors in control against Indiana. 88-69 with five and a half to go. So the Raptors will go up 2-1 in that series. And the Blue Jays and Orioles, another tight one, 2-2, top of the eighth. Mark Kennedy. World champion curler joining us in studio. Great to have you back on the show. Do you have a, uh, a, 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 a second sport, or do you have a favorite uh, spectator sport, or do you just watch the Edmonton teams? Where are you at with oh, that? Oh, you know what? I love watching. I love the Eskimos. Unfortunately, I love the Oilers, and I love the Blue Jays. So Those are your three. Yeah, those are my three. Yeah, I uh, really enjoyed watching the Eskimos last year. That was great, so I'm looking forward to another CFL season. Yeah, yeah. you enjoyed that how they fell behind and won all the time yeah exactly <laughs> hey but that you were you were talking about it earlier that's a sign of team maturity and 6 30 chad inside sports with reed wilkins weekdays at six on 6 30 chad